just want to take a moment and just pause and just let us reflect on our life Lord just look deep down in our hearts Lord and just thank you for that love that you've given us no one will ever love us the way you do we can't find that love in things or people. That love and that forgiveness only comes from you, God. I just thank you, Lord, so much for dying for me and the people here in this church and all around the world. Lord, and I just pray that if there are people within our ear that can hear us Lord that has never given their heart or their life to you I just pray that they will not leave this place before they do we are not promised tomorrow Lord and I just pray that you will be with Pastor David and I pray that you will just speak to him Lord anoint him and just thank you for bringing him here, him and his family, Lord. It's just an answer to prayer, Lord. We just thank you so much for that. And we look forward to, to just seeing what you have in store for us through him and his family. Just go with us, Lord, as we are to hear your word, Lord, and just help us to apply it to our life. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. Any children fifth grade and under can meet me in the back. Victory Church. How's everybody doing out there? It's doing good? Okay. Well, it is so good to be here today. Francis Chan, I like this. Francis Chan is awesome. I saw a note about that, and I, he's, uh, he's one of my favorites. That has nothing to do with my sermon, but uh, he is. So anyways, I just want to say thank you so much for uh, making my family, and I feel so welcome, because um, you have. We have felt so welcome in this first week, especially that we've been here. So thank you for that. Um, we have felt God calling us to Victory Church for quite some time now, and it's given us a lot of comfort to know that so many of you have felt the same way. So I just want to say thank you. I want to encourage you with that. I want you to know I, I consider it an incredible honor and a privilege. It's very humbling uh, to be the pastor here, and I'm very excited about the future here of this church, of Victory Church. I'm excited to see how God's going to move in and through the life of this church. So, so here we are, July 30th, right? It's the, nearing the end of summer it's crazy to think, but, you know, as the end of summer draws in, it, it kind of draws in this, this new, fresh new season, one that captivates our attention, and it, it kind of has the power to bring us together in many ways as a family, has the power to break apart some of the best relationships, and the power to 
bring together some of the worst of enemies as friends. And I'm not talking about a certain time of the year as much as I'm talking about a certain sports season. I think you guys know what I'm talking about here. There is a specific sport that I'm talking about, one that I am convinced is God's favorite sport. And I, may, I think many of you have already guessed it. Yes, it is the great sport of football. I heard praise God out there. Amen. Amen. And I know many people out there, and, and, and you know, even some of the ladies, I know you pretend at times like you don't understand the game or you don't like it. I know you're just pretending. I think deep down inside, really, you jump for joy when you see that game come on or you hear it come on. I mean, I do. And I think a lot of us guys could even, we could even hear some cheers coming from you. If we could just stop long enough to take our eyes and our ears off the game in order to see or hear them. You know, and I am also convinced that everyone in this room is a Carolina Panthers fan. Right? Praise God. Amen. Amen. I, I know most likely Josh Norman is probably the biggest Carolina Panthers fan in the room. That's evident in the colors of the church that we have, uh, the colors of the t-shirts. Thank you for that, Josh. And um, that's right. That's right. And also, guys, listen, you can rest assured. You can breathe easy. It's okay. I think God has cleansed us of any Dallas Cowboy fans in the room. It's, it's okay, guys. I'm pretty sure that's a sin anyways, right? That's, I think that's in the word, thou shalt not be a Dallas Cowboys fan. It should be anyways, right? Amen. <laughs> oh, gosh. But seriously, guys, I mean, so often in life, we get absorbed and consumed by things like sports and football, don't we? We just get consumed by these things. And it might not be football for you. It could be, you know, it could be fishing. Or maybe it's crafting. It, it could even be the worst of all sins, which is shopping. You know, it, it just depends. Everybody is different. There's so many things that try to consume us. We all try to find a sense of fulfillment and purpose, satisfaction, and acceptance in something. Every single one of us do. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're trying to find our identity in these things. In other words, we're identifying these things as a source of, of, say, happiness, a source of acceptance, a source of a sense of purpose. Every single one of us tries to find our identity in something or someone, and usually it's in multiple things. We were created to have an identity. But the thing is, as Christians, we're called to have our identity solely in Jesus Christ solely in Jesus Christ, trusting that he will provide for all of our needs. And guys, as Christians, we know that he is the only one that can provide for all of our needs and give us that sense of fulfillment and acceptance that we not only long for, but that we were created for. We need it. We need it. The big idea of the sermon today is this. Knowing who you are in Christ sets the foundation for spiritual growth. Knowing who you are in Christ it's the foundation for spiritual growth. In his book, Victory Over the Darkness, Neil Anderson states that every temptation is an attempt by the devil to get us to live our lives independently of God or away from God. Satan tempts us just as he did Jesus by appealing to our most basic and legitimate needs. The question is, are those needs going to be met by the world, the flesh, and the devil? Or are they going to be met by God who promises to meet all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, first off, I just thank you so much for this church. I thank you for what you've done in the life of this church so far, what you've done in our lives individually. Father, never, ever let us forget where you've brought us from, the redemption that you've given us. 
And Father, I pray that you bring us back to that moment when we first realize who we truly are, who we were made to be, your children. Bring us back to that moment. Help us to find our identity in you, even through the craziness of life, even through all these other things that seek to to take us away, to capture us, and take us away from your son Jesus. Father, I pray that you help us to find our identity solely in you, trusting in you. God, I pray that you speak in and through me. Get me out of the way, Father. Use me in spite of myself. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus, in your incredible name. Amen. The main text that we're going to be in today is Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to be in verses 6 through 15. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Let's dive into this text together as a church here. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body and flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. So at the beginning of that text, in verse 6, the first words that we see are the words, so then, so then. If that keeps doing that, Josh, I could, can I use this mic right over here? Okay, I'm going to give it just another minute. All right. So the, the words, so then, are the first words that we see, so then. Those words could be actually be replaced or supplemented with the words, because of this. Because of this. So it stems, the question that stems from that is, well, because of what? Because of what? See, that, that should cause us to want to look back and say, well, what happened? Something happened over here, and we've got to know what happened over here before we continue further. See, in the text that preceded verse 6 here, what happened was, here we go. Can we hear me? Okay, fantastic. There we go. All right, so what happened here in this verse is Paul, we see Paul saying, I long for you to know the full measure of the gospel, to know who you are in Christ, to know God. I long for you to know these things. See, what we see, what's what's taken place in this church is a lot of false teachers had come in, and they were trying to take these, these members, these church members, these Christians captive. And it's not physically taking them captive, it's through deceit. They're trying to come in and deceive them. Because many of them were weak in their faith. They didn't really know the word, the gospel, as well as they needed to. And Paul at this time, he's not able to be with them physically because he's in prison. He's off in prison. So he writes this letter, and one of the intentions of this letter is to tell them, I long for you to know the gospel, to know who you are in Christ, to know God, so that you're not taken captive spiritually by these guys that are coming in and trying to lie and deceive you. You know, so often... In our life, we'll try to find our identity 
and other things. And, and a lot of times it's in, in people. Sometimes it can be other situations. It can even be struggles, guys. It can even be struggles. And what we do is we try to find a foundation. We try to make a foundation with these things. And even if it's painful, even if we don't like how it fits into our life, we will attach ourselves to it, trying to grip it as tight as we can so we, we don't lose it, just so we can try to get some sense of stability, some kind of balance in our life, trying to cope with the craziness of life and just life in general, just trying to cope with life in general. See, guys, this is why it's so important that we find our identity solely in Jesus Christ, trusting that he will, he will provide for all of our needs. He is the only one that can meet that fulfillment in our life that we need, that we long for. It is only through Christ, only through Christ. But guys, we have to know the gospel. We have to know the freedom that we have been given through Jesus Christ. We have to know God's word so that we also are not taken captive. We are not deceived, but we know who we are and we know why we believe what we believe. In Colossians 1.10 it says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. The Christian life, it's like a journey. It's like a journey, but we have to learn how to walk so that we can actually progress in this journey. we got to learn how to walk. And as Christians, we walk by faith. We walk by faith. In verse 7, we see, we see four different expressions of what this journey kind of entails. You know, what we can expect out of this journey, what it involves. And those four expressions include being rooted, being built up, established in the faith, and then overflowing with gratitude. And the first word, rooted, that, that means becoming or being firmly established. Becoming or being firmly established. And when you think about the roots of a tree. See, those roots of a tree, they dig down deep and they get all of their nourishment from the soil that they're rooted in. All of their nourishment comes from that soil. In the same way, when we are rooted in Christ, all of our needs, our fulfillment are met in and through Christ and nothing else. We are rooted in him as Christians. And also, from the roots of a tree, they also give us support and stability. Support and stability. And through Christ, all of that stability and that support that we need comes from and through him. But when we try to find our identity in all these other things, these false identities, these things within the world, what's going to happen It's you're going to sway. You're going to totter. It's like building a house on sand. It will crumble. It will crumble. But with Christ, there is support. There is stability. And no matter what this life throws at you, you will not be moved. You will not be moved. We are rooted in Christ. Our life, our identity, the very fiber of our being is rooted in Christ. But yet so many Christians try to find their fulfillment in other things. And guys, these other things, whatever it is in your life, these other things that you may struggle with, they're only ever going to bring heartache and pain. That's all they ever bring. At, at times in the beginning, it can almost seem like, okay, yeah, I'm getting a little balance in my life. This feels okay. But then you follow that dot to the end. It's only going to bring heartache and pain. It's only through Christ that we can truly get that fulfillment that we need. It's only through Christ that our needs are truly met and that we are truly satisfied. The second expression of what this journey involves is being built up. Being built up. And here it's, 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 this word is actually 
It's said in the present tense. So in other words, it's, it's, it's saying being built up. Being built up. And this, this speaks to how we are made and molded by God on a consistent basis. He is continually making and molding us. This isn't a one-time deal. It's consistent. And we are called to be part of this process, to be a part of this journey. It's not just God making and molding us. We are called to move. It's a call to action because he is making and molding us. And we have to continually seek him and seek his word. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13 says, You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. But we have to be diligent in searching for him, seeking to know his word, to know the gospel. That third expression that we see in this journey, it's being established in the faith. Established in the faith. Guys, when when we know the word of God, when we stand firm on the word of God, that's how we grow. That is how we grow as Christians, but we've got to know the word of God. We've got to know the gospel. We've got to be diligent about continually and consistently getting into the word of God because Satan in this world has a very hard time deceiving someone that is consistently in the word of God, that knows the word of God and knows the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. And lastly, this fourth expression of what this journey involves is overflowing with gratitude overflowing with gratitude. That, that word overflowing that Paul uses there, he's kind of given us a picture of a river. He's given us a picture of a river. And when we are in Christ, we have been given living water. John 7, 37 through 38 says, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Guys, we are called to be a river of living water that grows deeper and deeper. We should never get so comfortable in our walk with God that we just stop, that we get complacent. We are called to continually, consistently seek God with everything that we have, continually seek him on a consistent basis to grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with him, to where we're not only gracious, but we are overflowing with gratitude. We are abounding with gratitude because we truly know who we are and we know whose we are. See, gratitude, it's an incredible marker of spiritual maturity as well. And we should not only seek to be gracious people, but we should on a consistent basis ask ourselves, am I honestly a gracious person? Am I honestly a gracious person? And if the answer to that question for you is no, then you may want to ask yourself, do I truly understand the gospel? Do I truly understand what Jesus Christ has done for me? Because I'm going to tell you guys that with a proper knowledge and understanding of the gospel message of what Jesus Christ has done for you, it should compel us to not only be gracious, but we should be the most gracious people on earth because we know what Christ has done for us. We know what he has done for us. As Christians, if our spiritual roots are deep in Christ, if Christ is the foundation from which we are being built upon, if we are established in the faith, if we are constantly, consistently diving into God's word, and if we are overflowing with gratitude, then we won't even think to look away from the fullness that we are getting in Christ, from the fullness that we have in Christ. Because I'm going to tell you something, absolutely nothing else will satisfy 
Nothing else will satisfy in this life when we have truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good because he is so good. In verse 8, we see it says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. We see the words, the very first words in that verse, it says, Be careful. Be careful. This is a really strong warning that Paul is using to, to be careful, to watch out, to watch out. And again, I mentioned it before, those false teachers that were coming into this church and they were deceiving these people. The word tells us that they were taking them captive. Again, it wasn't physically, but it was through deception, through deception. And what we have to realize is these false teachers, they weren't just coming out of left field and, you know, something completely different that, that you know, it didn't even have a hint of Christ or the gospel in it. These guys came in and oftentimes they would actually insert Christ and bits of the gospel message into their false teachings. And that's how they would deceive these people. Because it was the people that didn't know the gospel in its entirety, know the gospel, know the word, know who they were in Christ. These people would come in, mention Christ, and then they would sway them. And see, that's how Satan works. That's what he does. He'll, he'll come up right next to you, and let's say, this is, the, this is the truth. This is the gospel message. Come up right next to it, and then kind of slightly start veering a little bit to the right. And the people that don't know the gospel, they don't even realize it. And then before you know it, you're going way off here in right field. You're headed for a spiritual cliff. Before you even know it, and the sad part about it is, so often the people that we take with us are the people closest to us. Our loved ones, our family members, and our friends. Those are the people that oftentimes we take with us. Guys, this is why it is so important for us to know the gospel for us to find our identity solely in Jesus Christ so that we are not swayed by the world, so that we are not deceived by the world by false teaching, but we know who we are and we know why we are who we are. We are finding our identity solely in Christ and nothing else. We also see in this verse the word tradition. Tradition. This word is mentioned because it's one of the ways that these false teachers are coming in and they're deceiving these people through tradition. See, tradition, it means that which is handed down. That which is handed down. Now, there are several great Christian traditions that we have, and they, they remind us where we've come from. They remind us where we've been, and we can learn so much from them. But the thing is, we have to ask ourselves, with any tradition and with any teaching, did it come from God or did it come from man? Did it come from God or did it come from from man. Because see, when we start elevating these man-made traditions to the point of God's word and sometimes even higher, what we're doing is we're falling into the trap of Satan. It is deception, guys. And that is a huge problem with so many churches where they elevate those man-made traditions to the point of God's word and even higher. And that's what they base their standards on. Man, how many churches and Christians, they'll, they'll look at people, they'll, they'll judge them by the way that they look by the clothes that they're wearing, the style of music they're listening to. I'm not talking about the genre. It needs to be Christ-centered. I'm talking about the style or even the, the version of the Bible that people use. And the list goes on. There's so many of them. I mean, just for one, for example, the, the King James Version, the 1611 King James Version. Do you guys know it has been changed? It's been revised several times, several times. And so many people out there that will talk about that, that version of the Bible, they don't realize that. They act as though we, we still read the same one. It's been changed, revised several times. In fact, 
there are over 100,000 changes. 100,000 changes over that in that version of the Bible. I mean, and I've actually read some of the original texts from the 1611, and I'm going to tell you right now, you can't understand it. It's like reading a different language. You can't understand it. I mean, even Paul had trouble reading it back in 1611. He did, and that was a joke, just in case you guys didn't know. Paul, there's no laughter. I was like, oh, my goodness. All right, Paul did not read the original 1611, KJV. He wrote in Greek. So I guess I should go back to the Greek. And we should just read it in Greek, right? We're all going to learn how to read in Greek, and I'm going to preach in Greek. And then the Hebrew and Aramaic is what we're going to use for the Old Testament. Or better yet, how about this? I'm going to dress like Paul. I'm going to dress like Paul. We're going to keep that tradition. But if I dress like Paul, I'd be standing up here in a man dress. You'd be looking at me like I'm crazy. Like, did this dude just get out of the psych ward or something? What is this guy doing here? I mean, get this guy out of our church. Or better yet, tell you what. Let's worship exactly the way that King David did. This, kid, this guy had an incredible worshipful heart. We can learn so much from him. But let's do everything that he did down to the, every little detail. But here's the thing. There's a few problems. We're going to have to learn another language and sing in another language. Uh, we're not going to understand the style of worship that much. It's probably going to cause more confusion than anything for a lot of us. Uh, and then three, we don't know what all the instruments were that they used. But that's okay. We're going to figure this out. We're going to do it. Guys, do you, do you get the insanity with this? I mean, it's just so crazy. How many people, how many relationships, how many Christians, and how many churches have been torn apart at the hands of man-made religion, or man-made tradition, rather. Man-made tradition. And all the while, Satan sits back and he laughs. He laughs at us because it was his design from the beginning. That's what he does. Church, I challenge us to be a church that refuses to fall into the trap of Satan, Satan's trap of man-made tradition. And it stands on nothing else but the word of God. Finding our identity solely in Jesus Christ. Solely in Christ. Being moved, being used by the Holy Spirit to the minister, to the people that God has planted us amongst today. Because guys, we haven't been called to minister to the people in A.D. 50. We have not been called to minister to the people in 1950. We have been called to minister to the people in 2017. That is where God has planted us. And that's what we will do, church. That's what we are called to do. And lastly, in verse 8, we see the words elements of the world. Elements of the world. This is another way that these false teachers were coming in and deceiving these people. And when it says elements of the world... It's most likely referring to pagan worship and, you know, uh, astrology, mag magical practices. This just speaks to the fact that there are so many different avenues that Satan tries to pop his head through, tries to reach through and grab us. There are so many things out there. And guys, again, he doesn't come way out here in left field, or this would be right field. I don't know my right for my left, obviously. He doesn't come way out there and just to where you know what's going on. He's going to get right next to you. And he's going he's gonna to find a point where we're weak. That's what he does. That's what he does. We have to be diligent in knowing who we are, finding our identity in Christ, knowing the gospel, knowing the word of God, and standing firm on that. And as Christians, it is imperative that we refuse to allow the ways of the world and the flesh to intervene in our life and instead follow after Christ. Ephesians 4, 22 through, 22 through 24 says, You took off your former way of life, the old man that is corrupted by deceitful desires, 
You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds, and you put on the new man, the one created according to God's likeness and the righteousness and purity of the truth. And verse 9, it says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Colossians 2, verse 9, the entire fullness of God's nature. That word fullness there, it could actually be supplemented with the word completion. Completion. In other words, this verse is saying that the complete nature, didn't say part, it said the complete nature of God dwells within Christ. This verse is telling us that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. Titus 2.13 speaks to this. It says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. In verse 10, the first part of verse 10 says that we have been filled by him. Filled by him. Again, we could switch those words, change those words out to, to say complete in him. We are complete in Christ. He fulfills us to the point where we need nothing else. We are filled so much. We are overflowing. When we are truly finding our identity in him, we are overflowing. We need nothing else. He not only meets all of our needs, he meets all of our needs to the point where we are overflowing. And it just leaks out on other people. And it's just absolutely incredible. And then the last part of verse 10, it says, who is the head over every ruler and authority. And that word head here, it's referencing Jesus as having all power or all authority over something. And that something is rulers and authority. Rulers and authority. The word ruler here means demons. The word authority means angels. So what this verse is saying, that Jesus Christ has all power over everything, even angels and demons. Nothing can stand in his way. And when you are in Christ, nothing can stand in your way. You have been complete. You are fulfilled in Christ. But the key is we have to find our identity solely in him. Because if we find our identity in anything else, it will pull us astray. And the big idea of remembering, knowing who you are in Christ it sets the foundation for spiritual growth. The foundation for spiritual growth. In verse 11, it says, You were also circumcised with him, with the circumcision not done with the hands, by putting off the body and flesh in the circumcision of Christ. That word circumcision, or circumcised rather, it's speaking of circumcised in a spiritual sense. This is speaking of cutting away completely, just cutting all of the impure things out of our life, getting it completely out of our way, Cutting it off. And the circumcision of Christ means the circumcision of the heart. Again, we just cut away anything and everything that hasn't, doesn't have anything to do with Christ. To where it's solely you and Jesus Christ. Us and Jesus Christ. And there's nothing else. We cut anything else out of our life that has nothing to do with Christ. Verse 12, it says, When we were buried with him in baptism, in which we were also raised with him through the faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead. The believer's baptism, it symbolizes union with Christ. Union with Christ. It's a symbol, an incredible symbol. See, we, are, we die with Christ when we become believers. We die with Christ. We die of the old self, the old man, the old woman. And then we are raised with Christ to be a new creation. He makes us alive. He makes us new. We are no longer slaves to sin we are no longer captive to death. We are alive and we are free in Christ. He has raised us to life. And then verse 13, it says, And when you were dead in trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, 
and forgave us all of our trespasses. We were completely dead in sin, guys, with no hope, no hope at all. We could not save ourselves. But because of Jesus Christ, we have been made alive. And he calls us to find our identity in him so that we can be fulfilled, we, we can find our true completion and fulfillment in him so that he can make us alive and free us all the more. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and in sin, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. You're saved by grace. Verse 14. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. See, back in that day and age, if you had debt that you owed someone, you were given a certificate of debt. That's why when, when we see many of these words that don't make sense to us, they, in that culture, that day and age, they knew exactly what that was. A certificate of debt. It was a piece of paper that said, it listed out what the debt was. And many people would work for years, even their entire life, trying to pay this debt off. This, this certificate of debt basically hold, held over their head. But when they finally got it paid off, they would write the word tetelestai, tetelestai, paid in full. See, we too also had a certificate of debt hanging over our heads, a certificate of debt, and it listed out all the sins that we had committed. And Satan could take that certificate of debt and he could hold it over our heads and say, I own you, I own you. And he could look up to God and say, I own them. And he could do that. Because the only thing that could pay for that debt was our life, our death and separation from God. That was it. Satan thought he had won. But our God intervened. He came down in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. Because that's how he had to do it. He had to come down as a man. And he ripped that certificate of debt out of Satan's hand. Your certificate of debt. My certificate of debt. And he put your cross and my cross on his back along with that certificate of debt. He marched up Calvary. And just before he breathed his last, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. Your debt has been paid in full. It's been paid in full. He died so that we could live. He paid the debt that we could never pay. And he won the battle that we could never win. And lastly, in verse 15, it says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them and him. When Jesus was raised to life on that third day, he was not only victorious, he completely disgraced all of those enemies. Jesus Christ has triumphed. He has beaten. He has defeated every single enemy that we have. There are no more enemies that Jesus Christ has not defeated. He is victorious. And when you are in Christ, you are victorious as well. You have been made alive in Christ. You've been given freedom. You have been given life. 
But the sad reality is, even though we have been made alive in Christ, so many of us as Christians walk around like Christian zombies, so to speak. There's life inside of us. We have freedom. We have life. But we walk around as though we are dead inside. As though Christ has done nothing for us. Several years ago, this actually reflected my life. I looked for all kinds of different things, anything that I could get my hands on to give me some type of balance in my life to help me cope with life. I can personally tell you that no drug, no, no satisfaction in the world, no person, nothing in this world can ever satisfy. Nothing else can fill the void that only Jesus Christ can. Only Christ can fill that void in your life. Nothing else will ever fulfill us. Even if it seems like in the moment it's starting to fulfill us, it will not. It will not. The only thing that can meet your needs, the only thing that can truly fulfill you is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. God showed me that I am, I am not the struggles that I've faced. I'm not the situations that I've stepped into. I'm not the past that seeks to haunt me. And I'm not the fear that seeks to cripple me. I am a child of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am loved. I am cherished. And God showed me that the only perspective that truly matters is his perspective. And when God sees me and when God sees you, he sees his children, his little girl, his little boy, that he loves without measure, that he made with incredible purpose, value, and significance. You are loved. You have been bought with a price. He has adopted us, meaning there is no going back on that. Did you know with adoption, you can't go back on that. Once you've been adopted, you are adopted, and that is it. We are a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ, and nothing can ever take that away from us. But he asks us to find our identity in him so that he can truly fulfill us, so that he can truly meet our needs right here, right where we are. When I was going through that hard time in my life, and I started kind of coming out of it, and I started living my life for Christ, finding my identity in Christ, God put something on my heart one day, and he compelled me to write it down. And, and I want to read the last part of that to you. The first part, I talked about a few things. Part of that was uh, some of the struggles that I'd faced. And I'm going to pick up after I'm talking about the struggles here. <coughs> it says, however, I would much rather talk about the victory, the victory I have found in Christ, the amazing peace and joy I have felt in moments where peace and joy would be seemingly incomprehensible, the incredible sense of hope he has given me even in the moments of complete despair, his overwhelming tangible presence in some of the darkest moments of my life, of my life where I cried out to him, Daddy, I need you. He holds every aspect of my life in the palm of his hand, despite my flaws, imperfections, and failures. He loves and accepts me for exactly who I am, his son. Every moment in life can be a victory if given to God. Nothing is too big or too much or too big for him. My weakness shows me how strong he really is. My imperfections tell me of how perfect he truly is. And my failures allow me to, to feel how incredible his love really is. When I allow myself to step back and look at the bigger picture, I realize that everything in this life, both good and bad, is simply an expression of God's incredible plan of redemption. 
Everything can and will be used for good as long as I give everything to him. My story is really God's story, as all of ours are. Our lives are intertwined into this incredibly beautiful picture that God is still painting. The final strokes are yet to be revealed. When he does finally reveal the finished picture, it will be one that captivates every fiber of our being. We will finally understand just how special each moment of our life really was. The good and the bad will then be shown as part of an intricately designed and overwhelmingly beautiful painting. God will have taken every moment of our life to gently and lovingly piece together his masterpiece, none more special or important than the other, each specifically placed with incredible consideration to show just how much his children mean to him. As we gaze upon this incredible masterpiece our loving Father has made and included us in, a new painting will begin, one that will be far more beautiful than the last, and this time we will be invited to paint alongside him in perfect union It will be like a dance where he gently and intimately guides us along through an eternity of masterpieces made just for us. His hand will be lovingly guiding each of ours as we gently stroke the canvas of eternity together. Guys, no matter how far you've run in life, you can never outrun God's reach. No matter what you've done in life, you can never outdo God's grace. And no matter what you've tried to find identity in, these false identities in the past, when you are bought with a price, when you are Jesus Christ, absolutely nothing can overtake you unless you allow it to. Unless you refuse to call out to him, to call out to Jesus. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, as long as you have breath in your lungs, it is not too late. It is not too late. Christ died for your freedom. And all he asks is that you accept that freedom and that life that he longs to give you. Turn away from the lies and the deceit of the world and run into his loving embrace. And if you have accepted Christ into your life, but maybe you've been, you've been struggling with finding your identity solely in Christ and you've been clinging to all these other worldly things, trying to find some sense of hope, some sense of, of acceptance or purpose in your life, then I want to tell you it is not too late, guys. It's not too late to turn away from those things and turn towards Jesus Christ, trusting that he will meet all of your needs. Jesus Christ longs to give you the full measure of freedom that he died to give you. And it's available to every single one of us. I want to invite the praise team up for this time. No matter where you are in life, No matter what God is speaking to you right now, whatever he has been speaking to you in your life, I want to encourage you, please don't wait to respond to him. Don't wait to respond to him. And you can do it right where you are. You can do, there's an altar that's open. I'd love to pray with you. But I want to encourage you as we worship together, don't wait to respond to him. He loves you so incredibly much. He died to give you life to fill you and to meet all of your needs. But he's a patient, kind, loving God, and he waits on us. He loves you as we sing, you respond.